All right, everybody, this is Dan Figella here with Tech Emergence, where we interview entrepreneurs, investors, and researchers in the domain of emerging technology. We've been on a bit of a marketing spree as of late with Emerson Sparts and Patel and a whole bunch of other very sharp folks today. I am lucky enough to be joined by Mr. Dan Martell, who happens to be the founder and CEO of Clarity.fm, a very popular website, which many of you will be familiar with. Dan, how are you today? I'm doing amazing, Dan. Thanks for having me today. Of course, brother, of course. Yeah, I've... I've uh, Man, I just mentioned to you I had my first Clarity call probably six months or so ago, and uh, and it's cool to actually be able to have you on the line. I know that your uh, your background's a little bit like mine in that you're born about as far from Silicon Valley as conceivably possible uh, in terms of uh, you know being away from the the normal tech scene, but kind of came up in the game. I wanted to catch up with you first, maybe a little bit as to your background and how you found yourself to the position that you're in now, because I know you went through a vast number of of uh, kind of entrepreneurial projects before you landed where you are today. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so I mean, today, where I'm at today, I guess, just to give you a, um, kind of some context, you know, I'm the CEO and founder of Clarity. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to invest um, as an angel investor in about 27 companies now, uh, companies like Unbounce, Intercom, Udemy, Food Spotting. Um, I mean, and now I feel like a whore, like a parent that forgets their their children's names. But, um, you know, so so I, you know, my that's really my way to give back and advise companies. Uh, I've started five uh, different formal. So it's kind of funny, like how many companies did you start? Well, five that I kind of incorporated and worked on uh, in a meaningful capacity, and then probably another twenty plus other projects. Um, and then I spend a little bit of my time, um, you know, trying to give back as much as I can with uh, organizations like Charity Water and. Um, a few other local ones in my town, but um, yeah, I mean, I've been—I I pretty much consider myself unemployable, like you know, as, <laughs> as a normal, you know, uh, employee type of person. Yep. I did have a job that lasted about eight months um, when I was 18, uh, but I've been starting companies since I was 16. So I mean, I started my first company was a, a vacation rental cottage listing site um, that I built because my dad wanted a web page for his cottage. Um, I, I made my first dollar on the internet and that was kind of when I got kind of this addicted to the idea of, of building things that people pay me for. Yeah, that's when it happens. Yeah, when that yeah actually, so when, that was, I mean, <laughs> it didn't work out long term, but you know, I made, I made a few bucks. I learned a lot and then I started a web hosting company because I think most, uh, most people that build websites think, oh, why don't I host your website and you can pay me every month? Like, you know, you would pay somebody else and I'll be a billionaire. Probably, yeah. That was the dumbest idea I probably ever worked on because, you know, when you look at the amount of time to 24 hours, you know, this is back when you actually had to install your own email servers and manage, you know, FTP sites. And so I pretty much had no life. I, I, I borrowed 10 grand from my brother and get a lot of credit and essentially shut it down a year into it because it just wasn't working. Um, but again, I learned a lot. And then, you know, I, um, did a bunch of different things. It wasn't until I was 24. So I'm 34 now. So about 10 years ago, actually, almost to the day, I started a company called Spirit Technologies that was an enterprise consulting company focused on portal software. So kind of like enterprise social networks today, but before, in 2004, they called them portals. Um, yeah. And that company is really where I got my entrepreneurial chops. You know, I started off, hired three people day one with everything I had saved up over the previous couple of years. Um, and that company grew 150 plus percent year over year, four years and 30 people, millions in revenue, and eventually got acquired in May of 2008. Cool. Um, yeah. So I guess and that, that was a consulting. That was a consulting company then, yeah. 
Yeah, so it was consulting with products as a Trojan horse. So essentially, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was an interesting strategy where, you know, imagine if, you know, you were a Dropbox consulting company. We built, like, uh, integrations, right? So we had these uh, integrations with, I mean, super enterprise-y te- technologies. I'm not going to talk about it. But, you know, through those integrations, they were free to use. Companies would discover our company. It was almost like app marketing, micro app marketing um, to get us in front of, you know, companies like Procter & Gamble and Dole Foods, Johnson & Johnson um, that ended up being our customers. You know, it was really our way. I mean, I was 24 at the time and selling uh, consulting services to CTOs of Fortune 500 companies. So I was trying anything. Um, you know, and then I, then I, after that, I, you know, financially it was pretty awesome. I bootstrapped it 100%, um, took some time off. Then moved to the Valley and, and, you know, I moved to San Francisco. I grew up in a small town. I should have mentioned that. And, yeah. You know, a hundred thousand people in the middle of nowhere, which turns out that for the most part, everybody that I've talked to, like nobody's from New York or San Francisco. They're all from small towns. So I think everybody can relate if they've had that entrepreneurial spirit that they didn't really have the support in their local community growing up. Yeah. Um, you know, it's gotten a lot better now, but yeah, so I moved to San Francisco to see if everything I was reading on TechCrunch and stuff was all true, and it turns out it is. I mean, it's kind of like Disneyland for startups. It's it's an incredible, magical place, and um, it's quite unique, and spent the last five years there. Uh, built a company called Flowtown, raised venture capital for the first time, uh, grew that, learned a lot of different lessons, and then sold that company in 2011. Um, and then started Clarity because I had a passion and, uh, you know, kind of like a purpose to try to solve a really hard problem that could be potentially very impactful to, you know, a billion people over the next decade. So um, raised $1.6 million in funding uh, for that. Uh, we announced it last December, so a little over a year ago, and um, uh, two Decembers ago. And, uh, you know, Clarity now has over 30, I think almost 35,000 experts. We've done calls across 52 countries. Um, and what we are is a, a marketplace that helps you connect uh, entrepreneurs and professionals with other industry experts or other entrepreneurs to um, get answers and, and get advice to grow their business or achieve their goals. Yeah, and that's that's how I initially came to it in the first place. So cool. That actually gives me a little bit of a, a background and gist. I was oddly enough unfamiliar with the fact that you started off with consulting. Strangely enough, again, Patel kind of began in a similar way in his early days. I'm sure you've kind of read his uh his whole backstory oh there, i'm so. actually really good friends with neil i mean he was actually the first expert that i tested on clarity go figure yeah nice you know, my first mvp for clarity was uh me chatting with neil saying how much would you charge for an hour of your time and he said two thousand dollars an hour and i said sign me up how do i get that and uh he's like hey man i just don't you know i really don't want to do consulting i was like well that's fair cool at least i know your market rate and then I went and I found some people that were willing to pay to talk to them, and I scheduled it, and they paid me through PayPal, and, you know, that was my MVP for Clarity. Bada bing. Yeah, you, you got to love it. I guess even if you even if you don't want to do consulting, everybody has a price. You know, I started in the martial arts world, and there's guys that run very big and successful academies with X number of 100 students, and they say they don't do private lessons anymore. But at the end of the day, if you have enough on the table, you know. I mean, Lady Gaga does private concerts. So yeah, I mean, you know, money, you can get what you yeah, yeah, you just you just gotta throw enough of the bucks down. So, uh, so cool stuff. And and on that note, I suppose uh, with all those lessons and obviously uh, growing a, a vast number of companies, now being an investor in many, which I suppose gives you um, an even more in depth view. 
Um, what do you see as some of the common marketing foibles early on of startups? Some of the, the just classic mistakes maybe you've made yourself, maybe you've observed some of your, uh, the companies you've invested in make or, or other startups make that you just feel are tremendously common. Yeah, I mean, I've made every mistake out there. So a lot of my advice might sound super polished and, and smart and all that stuff, but trust me, it's it's definitely because of the, uh, the the real world experience of doing it wrong. School of hard knocks, yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah. So I want to kind of give you that context. But <laughs> um, I think the biggest one uh, for startups is um, they, they – so there's kind of like different phases of marketing, right? Um, there's, there's kind of like let's get enough – people or users to be able to test our idea um and that i think is like the first phase and the best way to usually do that is to actually use your you know it's as free as possible right so i mean with free there's things like pr and content uh word of mouth uh social um but they, they all require time so i don't really consider them free and, and any no. time startups like oh we signed up a thousand people and it didn't cost us anything you know, I always ask, like, what did you do? If it was a contest, it's like, okay, well, how long did it take to, to get the product, administrate it, et cetera? So there's always a cost. You know, yep. blogging has a cost, et cetera. But, um, you know, they're renewable in that sense that, you know, you don't you can do them yourself as a founder. So I think you usually need to get the first – I always suggest that people get 50 signups a day. Now, it sounds crazy. To me, it's – you know, I've been able to do it repeatedly, but – um, you know, it is tough to say, how do I get 50 people to sign up for my product today? I can't even get two, right? Consistent. Yeah, yeah. And um, the, the best ways to do that initially is just, um, you know, start small. Try to get, you know, marketing to me, until you have a product that actually delivers on a promise and is unique, like, you know, there's a great, you know, just the unique part. Um, there's a great quote that says, advertising is the price you pay for having a product that's not interesting. Right. Huh. And and I, I like that because that's essentially if you start getting into paid marketing and you're like, I can't believe I got to pay, you know, four or five hundred dollars to acquire a customer. It's because your product probably isn't unique and interesting and nobody's talking about it. So sometimes the best marketing is just making sure your product works. Right. So, yeah, I, I actually when I sit down with startups, you know, every time I invest in a company, I always I always offer them if they want it, do a monthly growth meeting to talk about you know, product and most of the marketing activities that we do is really to look at how people are using the product, how they talk about the product. And there's ways to extract that through surveys and, um, and other things inside the product. And, um, and then use that information to tweak their onboarding process, their landing page, their sign up flows. And, uh, and then only once that's kind of tweaked and, and somewhat well optimized, um, do we then start looking at other channels. Now, that being said, you know, I think in the early days, you really just want to get enough traffic every day to keep running these experiments and trying to get users to actually love your product. And yeah. then of the ones that, you know, maybe only out of 100, you only have five that love it. Understand why they love it. Who are they? What do they have in common? What things did they learn about your product that maybe the other 95 didn't learn? And then change your onboarding flow, et cetera, to try to get them all to that point. And really, it's a, it's a psychology, a communication, a messaging problem. Um, more so than a technology problem or, or a specifically even a marketing problem. So um, that's what I usually suggest in the early days. And then in parallel or after that fact, I mean, most companies are either in an ad-supported business or in a, in, a, in a transactional paid business, right? You're either a Facebook and Instagram where you're going to monetize through ads and it's really about page, uh, page views and yep. um, retention and, and, and daily actives and monthly active usage, or... 
um, you need to run paid marketing to acquire a customer at a, at a, at a fraction of the cost or the fraction of the, the value that you can create yep. from that customer, right? So it's, it's the CAC, the cost to acquire a customer, and the LTV, the lifetime value of the customer uh, equation. And, and for some reason, startups just pretend like that's not true. And they just, it's the stupidest thing. If you think about it, like, if you're a SaaS business, if you offer a, a social media marketing tool for $30 a month, that is, your, your business is really, can I find a channel where I can put money into it, where I can acquire customers and, and make sure that that traffic converts, signs up, use it, whatever you want to do. If you want to do freemium, you want to yep. do a trial, whatever. And eventually that customer, that, that traffic converts into signups and then customers at a, at a, as a ratio that is a minimum three to one where the cost to acquire the customer is maybe $100, but I've got a lifetime value of that customer that's, um, you know, $300, yes. right? And if you don't test that earlier on, you're just not learning fast. That's why I always think like the best MVP, I told you earlier with the example of Neo, I got paid customers day one. Now, we didn't even have a product. There was no site. There was no marketplace. There was no search. There was no call connectivity, booking, scheduling, all the stuff we have today. Yep. It was me doing it myself. And But I learned. I learned that Neil's $2,000 an hour. So that's good. I learned that there's a very small percentage of the population that would actually pay that kind of money that would have uh, that kind of need and the, the, the kind of – it's almost like – you know, I learned all these things around the product, the positioning, the marketing – um, earlier on so that I could then um, kind of do some tweaks. But um, all that to say is I think, you know, people should test paid acquisition earlier on, especially if you're not an ad-supported business because there's a very high likelihood is that you're going to fail because you can't figure out how to scale that or you're not monetizing properly. And it's the fastest, most honest way to find out if, if anybody wants what you're – when you're starting to pay $5 for a click, and 98% of the people don't even sign up for the free account, you're probably not doing something they want. Yeah. And uh, that, that's just really honest. And I love the fact that people are like, man, I spent $1,000 on AdWords and it's not working. And I'm like, yeah, because your product doesn't work. Don't pretend like AdWords doesn't work. Your product doesn't work. So stop. Or, or it doesn't work in the way it's being conveyed. It sort of harkens to, to some of the notions of you know, the classic kind of Sean Ellis ideas of you know what is intent what is that desired experience are you actually creating that or, or are you communicating what that real end desire is adequately right up front in order to get people on that free account or something like that and, and that and that to me is the the and, and sean's one of you know he's taught me like half of everything i know about marketing and then the other half is through me failing at everything i should have yeah. just done verbatim from what sean said but yeah yeah i think most people can say the same yeah but he, i be mean able to that, that is how you learn the fastest is through paid marketing. And and, um, and the truth is, if you can't figure out how to make paid marketing at least work one-to-one ratio, like, you know, the cost versus LTV, then you really need to change. And when I say fail, it doesn't mean your, your startups fail. I just mean that what the current incarnation, like kind of how you suggested it, it's just not going to work. So change something today. Don't put your, don't like kind of. You know, some people just put like their blindfolds on and pretend like it's not happening, you know, and like stick their fingers in their ear and, and hum because they don't want to hear it. Yeah. But I always assume I'm wrong. That's like my, the biggest thing about entrepreneurship for me, I think that's different is I assume that my great idea is wrong. And then I work to figure out if it's true or it like, that's the difference. Some people need to convince themselves that it's a great idea. So they just assume they can do no harm. 
And my approach is different. I will do it anyways, but I'm just going to assume that I'm wrong about my approach and I'm trying to find information to support that. And if I can't find it, then I'm like, okay, next, next problem that I think I'm probably wrong about and try to, so it's a very different approach that I think is the reason why I've been able to iterate so fast in my companies. Yeah. And and it's curious because it's now, it's now so much, um, I don't want to say in vogue as though it's some kind of a fad, but it's very much more the case that that is the healthy attitude of the entrepreneur today than I think it probably was 10 or 20 years ago. Well, um, it's, it's definitely kind of, it, um, it's, it's come from the lean startup. Yeah, right? like I think, I hypothesis think. Hypothesis testing, you know, a yeah. hypothesis is essentially, you know, I think this is going to work, but I'm not sure. Like just even saying, like most entrepreneurs would never say that out loud. I have this idea, but I'm not sure if it'll work, but I'm going to go do it anyway. That's just, that's not normal. Now you say it to another entrepreneur and it's, it's like, of course, yeah, that's how you say that sentence, but you would never say that to your parents, to your friends. <laughs> yeah. I think that's where, you know, being an entrepreneur is almost schizophrenic in the sense that, you know, to the, the, the external world, you got to be like confident and certain and, and, you know, fearless and all this stuff. And then, you know, to your team or yourself, you're kind of like, I have no clue what I'm doing. I think this may work and, uh, you know, let's just try it. Yeah, and, and uh, you sort of need that healthy attitude. I, I know you had mentioned earlier um, the the notion of 50 signups a day. Uh, obviously, that'll differ sort of model to model. Clarity, which we'll get into in a bit, is uh, is very much of that ilk, it would seem. Flowtown, from what I know of it, uh, would have been a you know 50 sign-up a dayable business. It seems to me like your, um, your consulting biz, which you started earlier on, um, would possibly not have fallen in that category, or did you have a similar what, what we might call a twenty-mile march kind of metric for the consulting biz? Was it fifty leads a day? How, how would you work that outside of the app space and the freebie? Yeah, yeah. Space? I guess I've just been living in this kind of like venture. Yeah, it's it's space. okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, you're out there now. Consulting, you know, what I've learned about consulting, and I don't care if you like it or you don't, is it's relationship based. So I actually made it more based on phone calls. So it's, it's, it's how many people that I reach out to and not like phone calls to sell people. Like I would just reach out to people I might've met at a conference and just be like, Hey John, it's Dan calling from Spirit. I just wanted to say hi, seeing how things are going, man. It's been a while. And like, you know, most people don't realize, but all the good, you know, like value that comes from relationships are usually from very weak connections from people you might've met once might've only met through an email intro and it's really just your ability to kind of like reach out and say hi and just be helpful that opportunities come from it. So, you know, in the beginning for the first two years, because you don't have a brand, you don't, you know, you're not going to go out there and sell these big companies. It was really just um, relationships. And, and, you know, I don't like the word networking, but, you know, yeah, yeah. You call it, it was, is really just touch points. Like how many people, how many net new people did I talk to today that I hadn't talked to in a while? Not people that I talked to very often. Um, and we didn't do paid marketing for a long time because again, we were an unknown entity. We weren't IBM global services or, you know, these big consulting behemoths. We were just like this boutique firm out of, you know, Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada. (laughs) Um, so it it was very much, you know, like just winning people over phone call by phone call. Cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's, there's obviously a lot to delve into. I think consulting does give you a a pretty nice swath of experience in, in various activities that you can translate into other businesses. I know, you know well. I'm an engineer. So people can understand, I write code and I had to learn all these soft skills and phone skills. And yeah. Sales. Like, I mean, you want to learn how to sell. I mean, get in, start a business where you eat what you kill, right? Like, yeah, man. Yeah. 
wasn't able to figure out how to get contracts, I would have to lay off my employees. You you get you get air under your wings when you're in a business like that. I mean, you, you got to kind of kind of look forward, otherwise bad things are happening. So I think yep. there's something to be said for that. I, I wanted to move into because I want to sort of close up with with um, clarity itself, sort of the idea in general for anybody who isn't well introduced already. Um, but I, I wanted to speak a little bit to the value of mentors, maybe your ideas on on what productive steps uh, new startups and founders might take in terms of finding mentors for themselves. I know for you is obviously important. Again, you, you're a small town guy. You mentioned a lot of people are from those small towns, so there wasn't really that much support. How did you come across your initial mentors and, and what sort of advice do you recommend now for the folks who you're invested with or, or the folks that, that come to you looking for that sort of thing? Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, the, the number one thing is I've never reached out to somebody saying, I want you to be my mentor. I actually don't think that works very well. And anytime it's happened to me, I get this icky feeling and I just usually say I'm busy and I'm sorry and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so, there, there's a social thing there for sure. Yeah, so let's let's not do that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest that. Scratch um, that one off. All right. Yeah. So my, my, my quick story is, you know, out of desperation, two years into my company, Spirit, you know, I was 26. And, um, you know, we had about 12 employees doing about a million and a half in revenue. And I actually felt like I was about to drive off a cliff because I didn't know if I was going to be able to close enough contracts come January. This is December. Um, you know, and, and in consulting, like there's this like, it's almost like this tempo every year. Like it just every year come end in November, people shut down. They don't even start working really uh, until, you know, end of January. And I just happened to add it. You know, I just was on this mission to grow, right? 150% year over year. And, and, and the real reason I wanted to do that was my dad said that I shouldn't. And I was like, screw that. Watch me. Here I go. And oh, I what do you mean? Wait, your dad, your dad said you shouldn't try to be that aggressive? My dad great saying is you shouldn't grow too fast. And you're like, no, dad, I'll show you. Darn it. It was pretty much like you have no clue. My dad worked at a big company his whole career, you know, and I learned a lot about business. He was in sales and eventually became manager and managed a whole district. So I learned a lot about business just listening to him in the car that I didn't even realize I was learning at the time until I started Sphere. But, you know, just that statement bugs me because I don't, I think the better equivalent would be you should only grow as fast as the metrics tell you you can. And those metrics would be like cash flow, uh, sales pipeline, et cetera. Yeah, right? that's, that's just rational. Get in. Yeah, but he didn't say that. He just said you shouldn't grow too fast. And I was like, well, I disagree. I think if there's an opportunity, you should you know, put 110% into it and just go as fast as you can. So here I am about to essentially um, you know, go bankrupt, uh, have to lay everybody Whoa, off. Whoa, really? Wait, so, so, 20, so two years in, you – I mean was – was no, this a thought I mean, that it might happen, or were you no, actually I mean, at a tough I'm crossroads? I the spreadsheet, and it just didn't make sense. My utilization was 40%. I didn't have any contracts for half of the people. I just hired four new people six weeks prior. They were just finishing up training. Um, See, I didn't have you, enough. you were yeah. really in a pinch at this point, Dan. Yeah, I was in a huge ca- – I was, I was potentially going to, you know, cash flow-wise, um, just not able to make it. Damn. So, I mean, I just, I figured who in this province where I live, the state, cares if I die as a company. I figured the, the ex-minister of the province would care because he, you know, cares about creating jobs. And I had created, you know, 12 jobs, and um, I'm a young entrepreneur. I was 26, and, and all of our customers are in the U.S. So we're importing or exporting our resource, technically, right? Yep. And um, so, like, you know, middle of the night on December 26, I believe, I, I emailed them saying, you know, I'm, here's who I am. Here's what my company does. Is there anybody like me in this, you know, province state? And, uh, dude, he wrote back in like 25 minutes and he said, here are three people you need That's to talk That's ridiculous. So, so, like, Christmas Day, practically. 
Yeah, it was the day after, and it was like, in the, you know, he was probably up late partying with his family or something, and he got the message on his BlackBerry and just replied and said, you need to meet these three people, and, and I didn't even ask, you know, for their contact, I just Googled them and realized, but what he showed me, and I never realized was, okay, maybe I don't know those people, but they exist, and they existed, one was in my city, and the other two were nearby, an hour and a half away in other cities, but these people that have, that have built companies similar to mine, in, in essence, um, exist and and when I reached out to them, not only did they respond, they responded as fast as possible because they were they were blown away that a 24 year old and here I am thinking that I screwed everything up and I'm the worst business person in the world. They couldn't believe that I built a million dollar company in 12 months, and I thought that I I was doing it wrong. So so they actually they they were sort of uh, maybe happy to hear from you a little bit, and then were those were those people who you then you know, stayed in touch with on a, I don't know, a monthly yeah. or, or you I just mean, kind of pinged emails or how did those relationships no, I, actually I, manifest? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I did, so I read, a, I mean, I got my, I just read a lot of books on business. So everything I learned, I pretty much read from, you know, there's a book called the, um, this, um, paper MBA or forget what it's called. Anyways, it's like the top 100 business books and there's one on relationships and mentors and whatnot. And, you know, I just I, I tried to get on a phone call as soon as possible to explain to them. They then immediately said, "I'd love to meet you in person." And you know, I drove to wherever they were. I mean, if somebody's willing to meet with you and there's somebody's built companies that you aspire to create, you get in your effing car or you get on a plane, <laughs> you fly there, and don't you tell me about the eight hundred dollar flight costs. Like you don't get the ROI of being able to spend thirty minutes with somebody. Yep. And trust me, when they find out that you flew to their city for that one meeting. They will give you a half a day. They will make introductions for you, yep. et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I never said, oh, would you be my mentor? I just I just realized I need to spend as much time as these people are willing to, to, to spend with me. And uh, I followed up and, you know, I always said, here's what you, you, we talked about last meeting. Here's what I did. Uh, this worked really well. Thanks for that introduction. And, um, and, and ever since then to that date, I mean, this is, uh, you know, eight years ago. Um, there are people that I turn to whenever I have those really tough decisions in my life to make, like after I, or before I sold my company, like how should I evaluate it? How should I negotiate it? Um, should I move to San Francisco or not? And, and if so, what, how should I approach it? Should I start another company right away or should I take some time off? I mean, these are people, to me, mentors and advisors are people that you would normally turn to your parents to uh, for those really big life decisions, everything from what university should I go to? Should I take this job in another country, et cetera, et cetera? Because it's really this simple. If you aspire to create, you know, a $10 million company in your lifetime or build in a company with a hundred employees, or take a company public, you are working way harder than you have to. If you're getting advice from somebody that's never done it before. Yeah. It's really that simple. If you think about, you know, the people that you turn to to get advice, and the things that you aspire to do in your goals, like you just, you're just working way too hard. So if you want to be an Olympic athlete, if you don't have one or two mentors that have been Olympic athletes, then how are you making the right decisions? There's no way you're going to be able to do that and fast track it fast enough to make the, those decisions. So, you know, that was the biggest lesson I learned when I was 26, and I've just kind of taken that and ran with it to, an, you know, a crazy degree. I mean, even to the point now where I built a company – that allows anybody in the that, world to do that in record time. Exactly, and that—that's what I'm gonna—I'm gonna wrap with it uh, here. Is, is sort of the, the clarity concept. Before I do, though, I—I I like the story just so people know. I, I'm assuming a minister uh, in a province. It's like the governor. Yeah, it's a governor of some yeah. kind. Okay, just in case anybody out there got confused. But uh, 
But yeah, that that actually that's a relatively interesting story that you reach out to that person. Is there an equivalent? Is there uh, an action step that a given startup founder out there tuned in might uh, might shoot for in terms of you know should should people be reaching out to governors or was that a lucky swing? Is there? I mean, I think I think here's the thing. At the point at the time, I had a company right, and I was creating jobs, and I knew the government obviously cared about economies and you know even president obama said in his latest uh, statement of the the union about like startups and stuff so if you have something you know reach out to those people i I wouldn't do that today i think the better approach would be you know uh, find out you know the best you can i don't know why people do that but maybe it's just their their vanity or ego where they want to reach out to bill gates or you know uh, richard branson or whatever they like they want to reach out to the top of the top and my suggestion to those people is why don't you reach out to people that are about three years ahead of you right so if you're starting a consulting company or a web app SaaS business or a freelance business and you want to build it over the next three or four years to a certain side find out which company founders in your city or nearby are already doing that and obviously a non-competitive space and reach out to them because those people are going to be super open to helping the, the the version of them that was in the same position uh, they were in three or four years prior, right? Yes, so that, that's the way I would do that today, got and it. that's what I do today. And and it's just pinging a question. It's not you know, and, and it hopefully it's, you know, it's asking for advice. It's saying, oh, wow. hey, you know, I, I know your company. I admire the the what you've created and the brand and the the the, the focus. And uh, I heard all great things. And I love, you know, if you have uh, ten minutes to get on a quick phone call. You know, here's who I am. Here's what I've done. But you got to, you know, the biggest thing to get somebody to respond is you need to show them you've done stuff. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Email me and say I have an idea. It, it happens all the time. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, it's don't don't do I have an idea and I want your advice if it's a good idea. Like yeah. just trust yourself, do it, and and then say here I had this idea and here's what I've done. I built this site and I can't find any customers. Can you help me? That's going to get a response everybody wants to see gusto and and you or any other entrepreneur is no different um and and uh to that point uh i I figured i'd let you speak to clarity which to be frank i mean some of my initial decisions as to some content strategy for tech emergence itself which people are tuned into now actually were gleaned from uh, a few early clarity calls um how did you come up with the initial idea and, and what's What's really the basic gist, and, and I suppose what most people might not even know, even if they have a free account, is what is the overarching vision behind it all? So I figure I'll let you take the stage on that. Well, that's a, that's a three big questions. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. We're a little strapped for time, but yep. um, the original idea came from the, the polar opposite experiences of building tech companies in Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada, and the East Coast. I mean, if you look it up, it's like the furthest point east. It's you know, it's, it's on the ocean. Yeah. Um, you know, building tech companies here uh, versus San Francisco, right? Where in San Francisco, there's an abundance of advice. I mean, you can't even throw a rock and uh, not hit 10 entrepreneurs with a pitch deck trying to build a venture back startup. It's yep. just an amazing place. So my idea after um, Flowtown got acquired was, you know, whatever I worked on next, the, the only filter had to, had, to, had to have the potential to have a positive impact on a billion people within a decade. And when you think of that filter, um, only communication type products can have that. So when I was looking at different ideas, and I and I remember rethinking this clarity idea, like what would happen if I could grab all these amazing people in San Francisco, put them in some kind of directory online, and then connect everybody else in the world that's aspiring and trying and creating to get access to the same people that I was fortunate enough to, you know, like Sean Ellis and Eric Reese yep. and Neil Patel, 
you know, how, what would that mean to the world? And if you think about a positive impact on a billion people, I can't, and I don't think clarity itself will affect a billion people, but I think the entrepreneurs that we potentially will impact will have an effect by creating jobs and creating prosperity in their community, et cetera. So it fit the filter. And then I would, once I realized there was a huge opportunity problem to be solved, um, I went full, full into it. Um, so that's where the idea came from. Cool. Um, what is it? I mean, people use it for two primary reasons. It's, it's really like eBay for business advice. Um, some people use it as entrepreneurs that have existing companies for tactical questions like fundraising, marketing. You know, if they're about to start doing, you know, Instagram marketing or, or Facebook ads or um, setting up WordPress for their content. I mean, pretty much like very tactical technology or or specific problems that they're about to do. And it's, it's over a phone call. It's a conference line, so you can invite up to eight other people on your team to join that conference line. We have uh, experts all across the world, predominantly in major cities in the U.S., that have created multi-million dollar companies, raised hundreds of millions of dollars in venture funding, uh, you know, 100 New York Times bestselling authors, Olympic athletes, um, 150-plus TEDx speakers. I mean, just the, the caliber of experts we have is amazing. The average call is actually 20... Uh, last 27 minutes and cost about 75 bucks. So huh. it's relatively inexpensive, even though we do have guys like Mark Cuban on there for 10 grand an hour. Um, I definitely suggest you start on the lower end of that and execute <laughs> on some of the ideas you might learn. Yeah, um, yeah. Starting with Cuban's pricey for sure. Yeah, and then the other use case that people use it for is just market research. So if you're about to start a company and you want to validate your idea with real potential customers, you can, you know, let's say it's CTOs that manage ad spends of over 10 million a year. You know, we may have some experts on that. Or if you want to talk to uh, startup founders, you know, we obviously have thousands of those. Um, and you could just talk to them about your, maybe you have a productivity app. So people use it for customer development, market research type activities, or specific, you know, um, strategies or processes they're about to execute on. And um, the last question you asked was my vision. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. You know, my vision is obviously the impact number, but from a product point of view, I'm never going to stop working on this problem. I mean, this is my legacy personally. I could work on this for the rest of my career. And, and the, the vision is, you know, the ability for you to just say, like, I need, you know, I want to talk to three restaurateurs that um, have more than two locations that uh, <laughs> in this state. And we will show you those three restaurateurs by ratings and price. And you can just say, call, fill, all voice, you know, enabled and get on a phone call with that person right away. That's my vision. Con connectedness it's, it's, and expertise worldwide. Exactly. It's just real time. Uh, no, no typing. Maybe you're wearing Google Glasses or some other kind of wearable computer. You just talk, Siri, and it'll just bring up the best experts that meet that filter and let you talk to them right away. It's a hard problem to solve at scale, but one that we're, our whole team is dedicated to solving. Big time. And it's not that far from there as of uh, now. I mean, it's not, it's not terrible as we speak no, in terms I mean, of being able to find that kind of... Yeah, the yeah. expertise side we're, we're getting a handle on. I mean, the, the hard part really is just the real-time nature when you start thinking about scale. And, and, you know, we've been calls across 54 countries or something like that. I mean, you know, languages, internationalization. It um, it's it's difficult to do real-time, but, um, you know, that's what makes it such a fun fun uh, company to work on. Big time. Dan, I know we went a little bit over time. I very much appreciate you uh, sharing. I was not going to stop you in the middle of any of your story stuff. I know that that really adds to the meat and potatoes so much to hear your own tale. So thank you so much for that, and thanks for being here with Tech Emergence today. Dan, Dan my pleasure. And if everybody wants to get a hold of me, it's just dan at clarity.fm or at Dan Martell, two L's of Martell on Twitter. Um, love to hear from you, and uh, hopefully uh, you guys have an awesome uh, day. Cool. Thanks, Dan. <laughs>
Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, and be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Uh, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>